six weeks or so since the beginning of the year. So I have a question for you. How's it going? No, in particular, how are your New Year's resolutions going? Did anybody try and make New Year's resolutions this year? Who, who put your hands up if you made a New Year's resolution this year? It's just Lloyd. Oh, and Phil. Is it still going? Oh, proof's in the pudding. Yeah. Six weeks into... About 10 years ago, I made a New Year's resolution to get fit. Yeah, it's still on there, still the list. Um, and I did, I joined the gym at East Maitland and uh, I went and uh, the first time I went, I met with a trainer and they, they gave me a workout program and I went three or four times a week. And uh, I was, I went at it really, really hard. Do you know sometimes when you make a New Year's resolution or you just make any sort of resolution and you go really hard at something, anyone done that? And you think, I'm going to do it all now? And... Um, I went really hard, I sweated buckets, it was disgusting, I, every time I got home I had to burn my clothes, like it was that bad. And after about six weeks of this, I felt pretty good. But I realised, I, I got really disappointed when I realised that I hadn't taken any before photos. Do you know what I'm talking about? You know, when you have before and after photos, the after photos, you look really buff, you've been to the gym for a couple of years and you've been, you're really built, you kind of look a bit like Hayden. And you need a, a before photo to stick next to it when you post it to Instagram, right? Yes? Well, I'd been at this six weeks and I was devastated because I'd forgotten to take a before photo. My wife was really encouraging, she looked me up and down, she said, don't worry, you can still take one. Stick at your goals, that's my encouragement to you. But you notice when um, you, you make these New Year's resolutions, and, and so much about our lives is self-focused. I'm going to get fit this year, I'm, I'm going to make more money this year, I'm going to pass all my exams this year, I'm going I'm I'm to learn how to boil an egg this year, I'm going to rid the world of cats this year, whatever your, your goal is, it's usually quite self-centred, yes? Although I'd get rid of the cats on behalf of all of you, but... All the cat lovers are still mumbling, I'm sorry. <laughs> but they're quite self-centered, aren't they? And so what we're going to do over these next four weeks, and, and it's not just, I want to say, it's not just New Year's resolutions that become quite self-centered. We live in a culture that is incredibly self-centered. You know, one of the primary pastimes of tweens and teens is the selfie. You know, to take photos of ourselves and post them all over things. Yeah, I know, kids these days, the younger kids are kind of a bit over it, but teens and young adults, still into the selfies. So, we are going to... I'm lost, sorry. Oh, because, so the problem is, the problem is, because we get self-focused a lot in our society. And we are challenged and we are encouraged to think of ourselves so much more as individuals. But the problem is sometimes we think about our relationship with God in the same way. That our relationship with God is about us. God, protect me. God, I, I make me rich. God, help me pass my exams. God, do this for me. God, do that for me. 
God, find me a life partner. God this, God that. God, help me be happier. God, give me what I want. And the problem with this kind of thinking, which is a definite trap for all of us, the problem with this kind of thinking is then when life doesn't go so well, we tend to blame God. I had a friend who was a part of a church for a, long, for a little while. He started coming to church with me and um, back before I was an officer and life was pretty terrible for him. He started coming to church and the, the unfortunate truth was life didn't get a whole lot better for him. His marriage didn't stay together and things like that. And he just walked away from church because he believed that God didn't do anything for him. God didn't solve the problem. So he walked away. The problem is, we need to understand that we exist for God, not God for us. Last week in our uh, Satisfied series, we talked about the Copernican Revolution, where we understood that the earth revolves around the sun, not the sun around the earth. And we need to have that kind of revolution in our thinking about God. We revolve around Him. We were made for Him. So, this week, we are going to start a series called Selfless. In Matthew 16, Jesus says, Jesus says this. Can we go to Matthew 16? Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it and whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good it be for somebody to gain the whole world but forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? What is their soul worth? Now, that's fairly clear-cut, but Jesus, in uh, Luke's recollection of this passage, adds some detail. Look what he says in Luke, and we'll read this from the message. One day, when large groups of people were walking along with him, Jesus turned and told them, anyone who comes to me but refuses to let go of father, mother, spouse, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even one's own self cannot be my disciple." Anyone who won't shoulder his own cross and follow behind me cannot be my disciple. That is pretty clear cut. The reason I read that from the message is because in the NIV, the translation says, anyone who does not hate their mother and father, brother and sister, spouse and children. And it's hate. Hate is a word that I don't think we... Uh, was, was translated particularly well. So we're going to use this translation because that's the understanding of what Jesus was trying to say. Unless you are able and willing to put your family second, unless you are able and willing to put yourself second, you are not a disciple of Jesus. This is our challenge. This week, we begin this four-part series based on these texts, and it is called Selfless. And we pray that it sets a tone for this coming year, that it gives shape to our ministry, our work, and our spiritual lives. So this week, uh, I'll give you a bit of a rundown. This week, we are talking about being selfless in the way we share our faith with others, because that is a primary calling of all of us. Um, next week, we are going to talk about how we are going to be selfless in the way we serve the purposes of God, how we, we act in service. Uh, week three, we'll look at being selfless in the way we go about our day-to-day -day work and the daily grind of life. 
And in our final week, which will also be the launch of our self-denial appeal for overseas missionary work, uh, in that week we'll be talking about being selfless in our giving. And uh, so that kind of tied in really nicely and uh, it's very cool. So, selfless. So let's talk about being selfless in the way we share our faith and we come to this story of Peter and John. Uh, Those of you who joined us for video just for this message, we read earlier from Acts chapter 3 verses 1 to 11 and the story was told of Peter and John going up to the temple, they came across a lame guy and um, he was asking for money and they said, I don't have any money but what I do have, I'll give to you, arise and walk in the name of Jesus Christ. And of course, he gets up and uh, he goes dancing and singing and there's, a, there's an old Sunday school song I was going to sing for you, but I just can't quite remember the words. Singing and dancing and praising God, that sort of song, right? Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. It's a song based on the, the King James translation, I think. All right, that's good, that's good. Thank you, everybody. And of course, uh, we, we stop the story at, at the good part, because just following that, they, are, uh, they start preaching and, and talking about what they've done and, and why they did it and in whose name they did it, and they are arrested, funnily enough, and thrown into prison. But I want to back up for a little second and, and talk about Peter and John. Peter and John... Peter and John were, were part of the key members of Jesus' group. When Jesus was on earth, He taught for two to three years. He, he spoke to tens of thousands of people over that time. People from all walks of life, from the richest to the poorest, the most influential to the least. But His core team, this leadership team, was a team of 12 guys known as the Apostles and key three among those uh, included Peter and John. Outside those 12, there was a group of about 70 or so men and women who uh, took on leadership roles within the Jesus movement and then outside that, there was another about 150 who had uh, leadership roles within the Jesus movement, at least as far as um, some commentators have found out. So, Peter and John are core members, right? core members of, of the Jesus movement, they have spent, they, they've been with Jesus from almost the beginning. They've um, lived together, learned together, walked together, traveled together, three years of face-to-face teaching with Jesus. They knew Jesus, they trusted Jesus, they loved Jesus, but I don't think they fully understood Jesus. Which is not a surprise, right? Jesus was pretty spectacular in who He was and hard to understand for us mere humans. And see, from, five, from time to time, Jesus would explain to them that where this whole movement was headed, this, this teaching and this travelling around, this healing of people, all these things that they were doing, where this is all headed was going to be the cross for Him, or it was going to be execution for Him. He explained this to them a number of times and then He said, but but don't worry, because three days later, I'll be back. They didn't understand it. Now, in my mind, Jesus could have been a little bit clearer, but for His reasons, He wasn't. And it was only when looking back at all these stories, you're going, oh, that's what He meant, oh, that's what He meant. Oh, if only I'd understood. 
Anyway, that's their story and their problem. We know, we know, we understand, we are happy about that. But anyhow, on, let's look at what happened on the day of the resurrection of Jesus. So Jesus had been crucified, there'd been a couple of days, and then on the third day, the Sunday morning, Jesus rose from the dead. He was seen by the women and this and that, and we'll talk more about the story um, at Easter time, surprisingly enough. And uh, later on that day, here we go, we're going to read from John chapter 20, 19 to 21. Later on that day, the disciples had gathered together. But fearful of the Jews, had locked all the doors in the house. Jesus entered, stood among them and said, peace to you. Then he showed them his hands and his side. It's not a positive picture in some ways, is it? If you think about it. From the perspective of church leadership. This is not really the way a movement works. If all the leaders of the movement that Jesus is trying to hand over to, if all the leaders of the movement are, are, are locked up in a room, not going anywhere, doing anything or saying anything, it's not much of a movement, it's a not movement. Should be a word for that. It's stalled. So these guys were timid, they were afraid, and they had lots of, lots of good reasons to be afraid. And I think, though, that when we share our faith, when we think about talking about our spiritual experiences or our relationship with God, I think we too could become a little bit timid, a little bit afraid. I don't know if you'd like to, if we do a show of hands, if, if, if anybody would be bold enough to show of hands, to say, who, who is not afraid of talking to someone about your spiritual experience? I think we lack a little bit of boldness sometimes. Would you agree? Would you agree that the person next to you lacks a little bit of boldness? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I'll talk from my perspective. I, sometimes we're afraid that we don't know enough, you know? That if we were to enter into some sort of, of spiritual kind of conversation or a conversation about church or God or religion or anything else, we, we're kind of a bit afraid that we won't know the answer and we'll look a bit foolish. I've got to tell you, I have a master's degree in theology and I know less answers now than I did 10 years ago. And that's okay. Secondly, I think we're afraid that, of what people will think of us. What if we say something that offends somebody? What if we share a spiritual experience and, and they think we're mentally unwell? <laughs> that was an interesting reaction. We should delve into that a little bit later on. I'm already mentally unwell, so we'll just stay with that. <laughs> if anybody is perfectly healthy, let me know. I'll go to your doctor. Now... When we're afraid of what people think of us, what if, what, if, what if we invite someone to come to church and they think church is weird? Anyone had that thought? Uh, if you read the story in the, in the uh, Messenger, I wrote a story about how when I was a, a kid in uh, kids' church and so on, they, they um, challenged us to bring friends to kids church to bring a friend you had to bring a friend and if you brought a friend you would get a, a stamp on your card 
thing. Does anyone remember that kind of challenge? Anyone, anyone had that challenge growing up? You had to bring a friend? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had to bring a friend and I brought a couple of friends from school. Um, I don't know whether I, I would have had the boldness to invite, invite them if it wasn't for the promised sticker on a page. Actually, when you think about it, it's not much of an incentive, is it? It was enough. And, and I thought, oh man. And I was thinking now and I thought back, I wonder what, what, what my friend thought. Did they think it was weird? Like, Seriously, these, these are guys that came from no church background of any sort. And I, thought, I wonder if they thought that was weird. And so a couple of days ago, I wrote to one of them, because uh, they're a friend on Facebook, and um, I haven't seen him since we left primary school, to be uh, clear. And um, I, so I mean, we've chatted occasionally. Um, and I asked him, I said, look, do you remember, you remember this time we were like in year five and six? Uh, all six, I can't remember which. And I said, wasn't it weird? And he wrote back, he said, you know what, I actually remember that time fondly. He said, I, he said, I remember being involved in stuff, and he remembers that we were in a, a Jonah and the Whale production of some sort. I didn't remember that. Giant fish, and I didn't remember. And uh, he, he remembered, I think my dad taught him to play cornet for a bit, and stuff like this, so, and he remembered it fondly. It wasn't weird at all. I think sometimes I get caught up in what I think someone else will think about my church. I get caught up in what I think someone else will think about the Salvation Army. I get caught up in what I think people will think about the music or this or that and the preaching. When really, it's just about relationship. It's just about knowing God and knowing people and having a lot of joy in the meantime. I can almost guarantee you, you invite people to come and join you at church, at the core, at events, they will remember that time fondly. Guarantee. Uh, I got sidetracked. I wasn't going to tell you the rest of that story, but he just wrote back the other uh, last night. So there you go. Uh, when it comes down to it, I think most of the reason that we in our faith are a little bit timid and afraid. I think we, I mean, we may not be afraid like the disciples were afraid and locked up in the top room, but I think sometimes we keep our spiritual lives and our relationship with God locked away a bit from the rest of the world. We don't live it out as much because we are a little bit afraid of what people will think. We're lacking a little bit of boldness. Well, let's go back to the story of the disciples. Um, I'm, I'm picking out pieces here because it's a long story. It, it spans seven or eight chapters, so that's why. Uh, if you want to read it, um, read Acts 1 through to 4. But it was a crazy time for the disciples. After this experience where Jesus appears to them in the locked room, uh, you would think that they would gain some boldness and confidence from that, but no, a week later, again, they're locked up in the room and Jesus appears to them again, but this time specifically to talk to Thomas and to invite Thomas to examine the wounds that he has that prove that he is the one who was crucified come back to life. So he invites, he does it just so Thomas can have that experience, which is really nice of him, I think. But you know what, these, these two times weren't the only times, and you've probably heard other stories, but let me give you a summary of what that time was like from Luke, uh, which he records in Acts chapter 1, verses 2 to 5. After his death, 
He presented himself alive to, to them in many different settings over a period of 40 days. In face-to-face meetings, he talked to them about things concerning the kingdom of God. As they met and ate meals together, he told them that they were on no account to leave Jerusalem, but must wait for what the Father promised, the promise you heard from me. John baptized in water, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit and soon. Well, sure enough, the Feast of Pentecost came and recorded for us in Acts chapter 2, and they had a spiritual experience that we describe and have called a baptism of the Holy Spirit. In many ways, it's analogous to a a baptism of water, which we in the Salvation Army don't truly figure, we don't truly understand that as well as we should, but um, at Easter time, we're going to unpack a little bit of what it means to be, uh, sorry, at Pentecost time, we're going to unpack what it means to be baptized in water and then baptized by the Spirit, and we'll, we'll have a look at what those two mean together at Pentecost later on this year. But they had this experience. And following that experience, we come to Acts chapter 3, where they they have become bold. Peter and John were arrested, thrown into the cells overnight, and then brought before the religious leaders, the priests and the judges. Acts chapter 4, verse 6. They stood Peter and John in the middle of the room and grilled them. Who put you in charge here? What business do you have doing this? Or in your NIV, by what name do you perform these wonders? Verse 8, with that, Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, let loose. Rulers, leaders of the people, if we have been brought to trial today for helping a sick man put under investigation regarding this healing, I'll be completely frank with you. We have nothing to hide. By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one you killed on a cross, the one God raised from the dead, it is by means of His name that this man stands before you healthy and whole. This is Peter. This is Peter, the guy who was timid. Three times he denies Jesus when Jesus was on trial. He denies even knowing Him. In the Time we heard just before, he was locked away with the disciples. Hiding from the religious authorities and is now in front of those very same religious authorities, not only standing up for Jesus and the work that he is doing in Jesus' name, but he is so bold as to be pointing the finger at the leaders, accusing them of killing Jesus. That's bold, yeah? That's nuts. So here's the truth, we speak boldly about the things we believe deeply. We speak boldly about things we believe deeply. When you go to a restaurant that you love, you share about it, don't you? You post on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, Snapchat, Snapbook thing, or you tell your friends, I went to this new burger joint and the pickles were beautiful. Or whatever it was, probably not pickles, right? You you, you share about the restaurants that you visit. (laughs) I got a new pair of trail running shoes for Christmas and um, 
I found my, and I love them, right? I love them to bits. And I found myself telling, talking to a complete stranger about how awesome my shoes were. Just, just because I met them on a trail somewhere. Hey, let me tell you about my shoes. Hi, my name's Phil. Um, with things we love, we talk about. When you discover a new show on Netflix, what do you do? You come and tell me about it because I want to know, right? I need new shows to watch. But you, you tell me of shows that you watch, shows that you find. Oh, I saw this great show. I had to take a week off work so I could binge watch the all ten seasons. You know, you're like, you, you, you. Don't take a week off work. We talk about things that we believe in. So the question, the logical question then is, if we are not bold in the way we talk about our faith or our relationship or our spirituality, the conclusion is that we are not particularly convinced of what we believe or our fear is too great. But if we believe if you truly believe that Jesus brings freedom and life and salvation, if you truly believed that Jesus was the hope for the world, you would talk about it. If you believed and experienced that in times of pain, suffering, trauma and frustration that Jesus actually brings comfort and peace and hope, if you had had that experience... You would talk about it, wouldn't you? No one loves those experiences. From my, I, I spent three months in hospital. No one, I, I don't love that experience. But I do know God on a different level, with a different experience than had I not had that awful experience. Does that make sense? when you go through the tough times and you experience this weird sense of peace when you should be stressed out, when you should be climbing the walls in frustration or pain and yet you weirdly find this peace and presence of God, that's worth talking about. That's an experience that is powerful. Sure, there are other experiences I've had other experiences on camps and conferences, both as a leader and as a participant, where I have just sensed the joy and the presence of God. But there are also times in the everyday that we need to experience God. So let's talk about two things that will make us more bold. That will help us get over our, our fear and make us more bold. Number one, simplest is, anyone know what the simplest solution is to getting more boldness? Ask for it. Ask God for it. Pretty clear, right? In Acts chapter 4, a bit later on, verse 29, this is what is recorded. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Isn't that cool? 
Isn't that a great prayer to pray? God, consider the things that I'm afraid about. Help me deal with the things that I'm afraid about, the threats that have come, and enable me to speak your word, the things you want me to say, with boldness. So number one, ask for boldness. Perhaps it would be a a worthwhile thing for you to do. Each morning, God, help me deal with the way people, the, the fears that I have about the way people think of me. And help me share genuinely, honestly, and with joy my experiences. When the time is appropriate, not when the coffee's just too hot. Don't, don't do that, right? Was that clear? Did I, was I clear about that video? Don't, don't do that. I had a sip of my coffee, just walking there, just walking up here. And, and, and Joe just whispered to me, you think that's hot? Just to be clear, Joe, this is not, not what not to do, right? Um, but the, the second way of increasing our boldness is to simply spend more time with God. If you're going to talk about your experiences with God, you need to have experiences with God. Yeah? And it's not just going to be the mountaintop experiences, it's not just going to be the valley experiences when you're in a a hospital bed or a cell or wherever. It's the day-to-day experiences you have when you read your Bible in the morning. I don't know if you do that. Do you read your Bibles? Anyone's a morning Bible reader? Yeah? Who's an afternoon, evening Bible reader? Who's a, I don't know what you're talking about, reader? Okay. Okay. I find when I read my Bible in the morning, the whole day changes flavor. The whole day changes the way, or perhaps better to say, my perception of my whole day takes on a God flavor. Do you know what I'm saying? I find my reactions to things moderated, and they need to be sometimes. I find my experiences and my understanding of my experiences changes because of the way I'm aware of the presence of God in a different way when I've done my daily Bible reading. So the second thing I would say, and the final thing to say, is you need to pray, you need to listen to God, you need to read your Bible, you need to set aside some time to be with God and to have that kind of experience. So my question is this, as we are going to sing in a moment, Amazing Grace, my question is this, have you experienced the presence of God? Uh, I don't mean have you, I don't mean have you had an experience where there have been tongues of fire and sounds of rushing wind, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily mean that sort of experience, although if you've had that experience, that's cool. Do you experience the presence of God in your life? Day to day, day to day? Or is it something you just experience at highs and lows? Here's the thing. And here's what I want to tell you before we sing this song. God loves you. God wants to get to know you. But mostly, God wants you to get to know Him. 
He wants to be with you and share himself with you. We're going to sing this song and I want you to bow your heads. Uh, Well, I, I, I invite you to bow your heads. And I want you to ask this this prayer as we sing this song. Very simple, say, God, let me feel your presence. In this moment, in this time, as we all close our eyes, or if you don't know the words, you can read the words, but you know, like if we, we just stop for a moment and simply ask God for our presence. I don't know what's going on in your life. You might be having a mountaintop experience kind of life right now. You might be having a a valley kind of experience of life. Or you might be somewhere in between. But I invite you to bow your heads and ask God to make you aware of His presence right now in this place this morning.